But to kind of get us rolling, I want to kind of put a question out there for you. Just thinking about this, how many of you, when you hear these phrases that I'm about to say, kind of automatically complete them, right? And so just kind of be ready and think about just what do you respond with? So I hope I blank, or I hope it blank. So like, what's that? What did you have, Matt? I hope it snows. Hey, Matt had a goal when he moved here from, from the Northeast. He wanted to, he drove past Herman Park downtown and saw the big hill, which is Houston big. And uh, he's like, if it ever snows here, I'm going to ski that hill. And was it two years ago? Two years ago, it snowed, and Everett was a baby and woke up at like four and was like, hey, I'm awake. So they literally went out to Herman Park and skied the hill. So have a hope, take a chance, do it. So, <laughs> so maybe I'm going to let you fill in some blanks for me because skiing in Houston is not very likely, so I like your hopes and dreams. So we need your help, Matt. Um, but yeah, so we, so we all have these, I hope I blank, I hope it blanks. This is a familiar mindset for us to have something that we desire, something that's off in the future that we hope to see come to fruition. Things like, I hope to get to take a vacation this year. Unfortunately, in America, that's not a given. We have an unbelievable amount of vacation days that don't get used. Or maybe if you're clumsy, I hope it's not broken, whether it's a bone or the vase, right? I've known those. Um, or maybe it's, I hope I get the job or the promotion. I hope they say yes when I ask them out. I hope they ask me out. Um, maybe uh, as a parent, I hope my kids are okay or I hope my parents are okay. This is such a common sentiment for us to experience on the daily. But this kind of hope you hear that, that we experience on the norm, it's interesting because we think of hope as positive, but really, if, unless you're Matt, it is full of uncertainty and totally out of your control. And, and this, is, this is something so common to us, but I just want to say here to get us rolling, this is not what the hope of Jesus is like. It's interesting because it is similar in some ways, but it's also different in a very important way. It's similar in that the hope that Jesus gives is out of our control. We, we really can't attain the things that we hope for that matter. We can't control our world. We're just not that big. So there is a sense of the hope that Jesus gives is a hope that's out of our control. But how it's, how it's different and how it really matters that it's different is that there is no uncertainty with the hope that Jesus gives. Our hope in Christ is actually, it's incorruptible, it's indestructible, and it's unfading. And if I could think of other ubbles, I would have done it to be cool, but that was as far as I could get. So yes, it is. It really is incorruptible, indestructible, and unfading. And in line of the season of Advent, as we've been in uh, for this season, where it's this kind of building anticipation, awaiting the coming Christ, as we just heard, our hope in Jesus is best defined as confident expectation. So yes, there is a sense of something that is to come, something needed, but because it is given in Christ, this hope can be confident. So we'll be in Isaiah 9-6 again today as we continue in this Advent season, and it's my prayer that each one of us would know this kind of deep, unshakable, confidently expectant hope in a more profound and personal way. So let me pray for us and we'll, we'll jump in. Um, God, right now I just ask for me 
um, just to uh, just to still my heart and my mind, still my life. Lord, I, I confess I am I am one who strives as if my hope is in my hands. I, I see, Lord, the way that I work. Lord, I, I see, Lord, my, my ambitions, and I see the things that I fear. And, Lord, I just I confess, Lord, that, I mean, way too often I live as though my hope is in my hands. Lord, I pray if that's true for anyone else here right now, um, that you would just help all of us to come to a place of surrender and that we would be um, um, grateful to that invitation, that you would call us to this, to the laying down of arms or to the laying down of, of, of our efforts, Lord, as our means of hope. We thank you for that great promise that our hope is in Jesus and it is, it is one that we can have confidence in, in our expectation, that it's incorruptible, that is indestructible, that is unfading. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Isaiah 9-6. Uh, it'll be, all of our texts will be on the screen. Uh, if you need a Bible, there's one near you on the floor. If you don't have a Bible at all, please find one that's not too beat up and take it with you. That's our gift to you. Um, our Advent series, as Andy already said, the, the, the title of it comes from this text, and his name shall be called, and names are interesting. Uh, the name, the, you know, names at the time that this were written were much more important than we view them, because for us, names might be important. We've got some names, I just, you know, we've got one of our, we got Ellis over here, right? Um, we've got, do we have any, uh, we got Blythe in here, and you all have names, and you were all once babies, so, you know, we, we can all fit the category, but names are important for us, but for maybe for two reasons. One is either a family tradition, a family name that you want to pass down to kind of honor your family, um, or maybe it's all about trend, whether it's being on trend and having a name that people like, or it's being unique and being off trend, so you reach way back and call your daughter Gertrude, or your son Gertrude, maybe, if you really want to be that different. Or, you know, you call forward and you name your, ta your kid Table. I don't know. I mean, like, but th th that's kind of the way that we view names. But here in this time, names carried much more weight. They communicated something. And at this time, names could communicate a family history or a purpose for this person, both good and bad. Or it could create a, or it could communicate a promise that would come through this person or even a curse. And so we see that. So these names carry weight. So this is no different. These names of the promised Messiah communicated here, they communicate something too. They communicate both his glorious purpose for coming as well as the promises that he brings. So let's read that verse real quick, even though we've already kind of spent a lot of time around it. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we see four names given the Messiah here. And just to be real clear, like we've spent some time the past couple weeks showing how this text points to Jesus. First off, just in the context itself, the people were expecting an earthly king and an earthly kingdom. And if you look at all the language, it is certainly beyond expectation of just an earthly king and kingdom. But then also you look at the New Testament, and it very clearly calls back to this text to point to Jesus. And so we've already spent some time, so if you haven't heard the last two weeks' uh, sermons uh, in this series, go back and listen to that. We, we'll, you could hear some time on that. But, but we know that this is something that Jesus fulfilled. 
So the names given our Messiah, Jesus, here is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So let's quickly look at what's happening here. First, we, we start off with the Wonderful Counselor that Matt taught through a couple weeks ago. And it's this, this, this idea, this, this word wonderful is this unknowable, beyond, beyond understanding kind of a thing. And then Counselor is what you would think. It's one that brings understanding, that makes something known. So the picture there is the picture of what is unknowable is made knowable. It is where the divine and humanity are brought together. So this promised Messiah is one that would bring connection between divine and humanity. And so we see that there's this beauty. It's the work of God moving so that we can know him and be known by him without fear and terror. What a beautiful work. And the next two, Mighty God and Everlasting Father, they really expand on this, right? And so if we think about the unknowable being made known, the Mighty God, last week we talked about, it's this idea of the one who is, who is so far beyond us, who is transcendent above all creation, as high as we can imagine and think, is beyond that. That's why you see all the time in Psalms, above the heavens, right? It's because like that's as high as we can think and then go some more. Right, So we see this mighty God who's transcendent above all creation, too glorious and majestic to behold, too wonderful to fathom. He is the mighty one. Last week, that was our great proclamation of comfort, that he is mighty, we are not. He is mighty, you are not. That is a comfort because just play it out just for a moment. How does it go with your hands? Sometimes well, sometimes not. His hands, it always goes well as our mighty God. And then we also see he is our everlasting father here. So what was transcendent and is transcendent is also now imminent in the everlasting father. He is personal. He is the one who is near, attentive, and knows us. He knows our needs and our hopes and our desires. And so the one who is glorious and above all is also here and, and near and knows you. So for the next few minutes, and I really do mean few, we're going to see what is meant when Jesus is said to be our everlasting father and how that leads to our true hope in this life. So, so what's meant, what is meant that Jesus is called our everlasting father? Like what's happening here? So, so we, could, we could look at this and possibly say, well, this is a Trinitarian moment, right? The God in three persons where we see the Son and the Father called the same. And that's certainly not wrong, and it certainly is affirmed in the New Testament. We see John 14, 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So it's not wrong to connect us with the Trinity because God and the Son certainly are unique and the same. If you want to blow your mind, let's go have a coffee over the Trinity, okay? It's really fun. It's beyond our comprehension, but it's also really healthy to wrestle with. But there really is something else here. The Trinity is not what the author, what Isaiah had in mind in this moment. Because we can't forget what this text is about. What is this text about? This text is about the one who will come and restore God's people into God's kingdom and have rule and reign. Right, again, way beyond their expectation. They were just thinking earthly rule, earthly reign, earthly position. He's like, no, 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 far beyond that. We're talking about the heavenly, the eternal, right? And so remember it said the government will be on his shoulders. So it's the one who is coming to call his people in, to establish his people. So what these names are really about is the kind of king, the kind of leader that this Messiah will be. 
what he will be like, what his rule and his reign will be like, what the experience is to be underneath his care and authority. That's what these names are about. So this king will be wonderful counselor who is mighty, right? So this king is the one that brings, that brings again, the, the divinity and the humanity together. He is mighty and strong, mighty, to, mighty in his worth and glory and majesty, mighty to save, mighty to rescue, has all of, of all power at his disposal. When we think of a king, those kind of attributes make sense, right? Big, strong, powerful, those things. But then we see this king will also be an everlasting father. And again, describing what kind of rule, what kind of leader he will be, it is that, that exactly what you hear, the Hebrew here is either, it can be one of two things, either the father of eternity or father forever. We can look at the Hebrew and kind of come to these two kind of outworkings, father of eternity or father forever. And they're both helpful. Father of eternity here would be, you know, he is the one who was at creation and holds time in his hands, the one who, who, whose decrees stand forever. And we see from, from the beginning in Genesis 1 that they created them in their image. So we see that he was there. We see in John 1, we see that, that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So we see this call to eternity. And so the one who is eternal has come to restore and, 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 and reign over eternally. But then we also see forever, Father, and I think this fits the context better, but it's also wonderful to, they fit really well together, so we're not in trouble here. It's really wonderful. When we think of the forever Father, we're thinking of, again, the way in which he will lead and care for us. He will love and lead us as a good and loving Father forever and ever. This is beautifully hopeful. It's beautifully hopeful. I know that not everyone here has had a good father. It's difficult when we start thinking of fatherhood and what it's like to be cared for like this because this is foreign for many of us. Maybe you didn't have a father that was selfless for you, that was generous to you, that was sacrificial and, 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 and kind and building you up. Maybe that wasn't your experience, but the promise here is that we all have a spiritual father that will care for us forever without wavering, stumbling, or disappearing. We all have an idea in mind even if you didn't experience this, of what a good father is meant to be. We have an ideal. Maybe you experienced it, maybe you didn't, but there's an ideal. But let me, let me just tell you something. To, to me, this is helpful. To me, this matters. No matter how perfect your ideal is of what a good father should be, guess what? It falls short of what we are seeing here as the promise of our everlasting father and the Messiah to be. Do you know why it falls short? Because we are confined. It's the same thing as trying to attain to the mighty God. The goodness of our Heavenly Father can only, in our imaginations and our understandings, can only go so far because we're limited just by our finance. We're limited by our own view of ourselves and our experience. So find great comfort. Please strain to imagine how good a good father can be. But then as you reach the limit of just the, the, the riches of that relationship, be encouraged that God's intent for you in this everlasting Father promise is even greater. That mattered to me. I hope it was encouraging to you. There's a picture here in Matthew 7, 7 through 11 that gives us a good picture of this. And this is Jesus uh, teaching. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now hear this. Or which one of you? 
If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil, and what that's saying there, if you here who are not God, who are not infinitely good, infinitely wise, infinitely true, infinitely generous, infinitely gracious, which none of us are infinitely any of those. We are all limited in our expression and experience of those. If you, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven, who is, who is infinitely all of those things, gives good things to those who ask him. Guys, this is not do good, get good. This is not name it and claim it. This is God blowing up our paradigm beyond the temporal, beyond the experience, beyond the, what leads him to say, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? There's something more important in the way in which God is working our life and securing us is more important than just what we have and what we get to experience and how comfortable we are. There is a deeper and a greater promise, and it is in view of our eternity in our eternal relationship with God that was meant from the beginning to be whole and without interruption. Amber and I often have to assure our kids that we will do all that we can to protect them. When their fears and insecurities arise, we have to say, hey, do we love you? Will we always be here for you as much as we will do whatever we can? We will, we will do as much, all that we can to keep you safe. So we love them, but did you catch the qualifier, if we're going to be honest, that we have to say? We have to say, we promise we will do all that we can. And the gut-wrenching reality is that as parents, there are things that are out of our control, and we, the things that we cannot control, things we cannot know. So it is always all that we can, but with Jesus caring for us as our forever Father, there is no qualifier. There is no qualifier because, again, he, he is... God. Yes, I mean, we, we live in a fallen, difficult world that is also temporal. There is death in this world because of this brokenness, because of sin. In, cre in the in first creation, Adam and Eve, and in each of us, there is death. There is pain. There is sickness. There is hurt. All of that is here. We live in a world that that is the case there's hardship around every turn, but Jesus is working out our eternity, and he has worked the hope of heaven, the blessings of eternity that are here now. We are accepted by God now through Christ. We are made whole. We have been given peace, which we'll talk about next week with God through Jesus. We have a promise that he will never leave or forsake us. And that Jesus comes as our everlasting Father that is concerned with our well-being and takes care of everything we need. He didn't leave us to this on our own. Again, if our hope was, was based on what we could do or on our circumstances, that is, there is no hope in that at all. But if our hope is something that Christ has done, it transcends circumstance. It transcends ability. It transcends your ability to be perfect because guess what? None of us are. And that, and that difficulty brings all kinds of problems into our life. And so because our hope is in Jesus and what he has done for us, our hope is secure regardless of the moment. Jesus is the one who satisfied our righteousness, the one who made us 
worthy of being in the presence of a holy God. He did this by coming to earth, taking on flesh, facing every temptation that we did, yet without sin. And then he went to the cross. He took the death that we deserve because that death was the consequence for our sin. He took that death that we deserve, but guess what? He, he didn't just take our consequence. He also conquered death. He conquered the power of death so that in his resurrection, we could live as well. So the, he took the death we deserved. He gave the life that we did not so that we could live with him. And then he promised to be with us always to the ends of the age. And through Jesus, we've also been given the Holy Spirit. The completion of the Trinity, right? And what does the Holy Spirit do in us? He is God's claim on our life. He is the good deposit, like the down payment, guarantees our place. He also empowers our life for the purpose of God. He inclines our hearts and our wills to the truth of God, which we need to believe because our truth leads to destruction all too often, both just inside our hearts and minds and in this world. The Holy Spirit, guess what else he does? He reminds you whose you are. In Romans it says, by the Holy Spirit, he poured his love into our hearts. The word, God, God gave one of the main tasks of the Holy Spirit because he loves you just to say, guess what? I love you. Guess what? I love you. Don't forget, I love you. And so the Holy Spirit reminds you who you are and whose you are, who you belong to, that you are loved and accepted. And you are more than conquerors in Christ. The hope of Christ is what secures us in our times of trial. The hope of Jesus is what fills everything with meaning. What meaning could there be in this life as it is if there is no hope beyond this moment and today? Our hope that comes in Christ gives meaning to everything. It gives meaning to the highs. Because again, what's the point of a high? What's the point of a low? Our hope in Christ gives meaning to all things fills everything with deep joy because it's not based on our strength or circumstances. Instead, our hope is founded in the strength of our mighty God and his assurance that because of Jesus, we live in the fold, the family of God as adopted sons and daughters with our forever father. So I pray for the rest of the Advent season and beyond that, right? That's just a couple more weeks. So I <laughs> This prayer is bigger than a couple weeks. Like, I pray that beyond that, that we're able to see every moment from the perspective that we have an everlasting Father, a forever Father, with an everlasting hope. And that because we have an everlasting Father, we have that hope. Hold your life up to the promises of God, not up to your circumstances, not up to your personal expectations, not up to the person next to you. Hold your life up to the completed work of Jesus, the truth of God, and the promises of God. What fears or insecurities do you have? Identify those. Call them out. Bring them into the light. Share them with someone. Write them in a journal and then say, God, help me to see these rightly. Help me to see these in respect to what you've already done in Jesus. How have you satisfied my need for belonging in Jesus by accepting me, by making me worthy? How have you accepted my fear of what is to come? Because guess what? I don't have to know because you know and your plans are for my good and your glory. And whatever is for your glory is for my good and you will make that happen.
Hold your fears and insecurities up next to the truth of God and his completed work of Christ and ask, how has it been satisfied? What an opportunity for the rest of this season with all of your little outings as you go shopping, every gift that you buy, every gift that you receive, every light that you see, every song that you hear, every party you go to, let everything incline your heart and your mind to the goodness of God shown in Jesus as our mighty God, our, our, our wonderful counselor and everlasting father, the one who gives you an everlasting hope. If you're not a Christ follower, if you haven't had this moment of coming and saying, like, hey, this, I can't do it in my hands. I need someone else to take it. And Jesus is the one who can save, who can redeem. If you haven't made that confession, today the invitation is here for you. And if that's something you need to do today, come find me or come find Matt or come find Travis, two blue shirt guys in the front row. Um, if you're in a transformation group, find someone in your transformation group. Um, but we would love to talk with you and pray with you through that. Um, as, as f f think back through your own life. Where have you seen the faithfulness of God? If you are a Christ follower, you've experienced that. If you're not a Christ follower, think back through your life. Where, where did you experience things where things should have gone much worse? Or where did you experience things that were horrible, but guess what? You're still here. You were, you were sustained by God's common grace. His grace is already upon you, and he wants you to experience in a fuller and specific way. Lastly, get in the word to see the bigger picture of who God is. God gave us his word. It is his word from his heart to us. It expresses the entirety of his character. It also shows us who we are because when we don't go there, all we see is our little world, our little life for the few years that we have. And man, praise God, he's given us the word and he's given us each other. And so as you journey, get into his word. And then, you know, if you don't know where to start, turn to the person you came with and say, hey, can you help me? Or maybe find someone. Again, come to uh, the guys, the people I've just listed again. We would love to give you a starting point. And then share the journey together of just marveling at who God is and what he's done in Jesus for you and for me. Call each other. Don't miss the opportunity to be the gift the body of Christ is meant to be to each other in this world. Call each other and the whole world to his persevering goodness and everlasting hope that is in Jesus alone. Let me pray. Um, God, you, you're good. And I, I mean, <laughs> my words are so insufficient right now. Lord, you are abundantly gracious, infinitely loving, or patient, merciful, forgiving, providing. Lord, I thank you that you don't give me everything I ask for. I thank you don't give me everything I ask for. I, I would... I would send my life off the rails if I got all I asked for. I thank you that you, at the end of the day, give me what is most important. And first, that is the, the grace and salvation in Jesus, and that is the strength, the hope, and the love to persevere in this life. Lord, I thank you that, <laughs> that you love us. Lord, be glorified. Continue to work in this time in responsive communion. In Jesus' name, amen.